You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Cool. How are we? I did it again. I said cool. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's great to be here as we dive into what's, I suppose, part two of our, um, of our Transformation Trek series this morning. What's part two of our series, Crazy, Radical, Generous, Hopeful Hospitality. Crazy, Radical, Generous, Hopeful Hospitality. Tongue twister. And as I said last week, my hope is that this series is one that we can actually have a lot of fun with, that this is a series that we can enjoy. Hospitality is a great topic. It's a practical topic. It's one that we get to share and experience with others. And it's one that has the ability to have immense and immense impact on the people around us, an immense impact if we simply embrace it. So last week, we started this series by simply just rescoping what hospitality is. I think a lot of the time, hospitality is probably something we gloss over when we consider the concept of a spiritual or a godly practice. We sort of put hospitality over there, eating, and we sort of start to think more about like your prayer and your Bible reading, etc. But what we discovered is that when we looked into hospitality, when we looked at hospitality at its core, we discovered that hospitality is a profoundly simple yet powerful practice. Simple yet powerful practice. The hospitality isn't about big showy events. It's not about planning. It's not about, um, it's not about preparing or organizing. It's not about putting on a show. But instead, it's just simply the practice of regularly gathering together around a table with others. Gathering around a table and eating with others. But there is a catch. There's a catch. Sometimes the challenge with a practice like hospitality is that when we start to think simple, (laughs) when we start to think fun, when we start to think that way, especially when it comes to something like eating and gathering with others, we can start to sort of go down this slippery slope into something that we didn't initially intend to be. We start to descend this slippery slope into something we didn't set out to achieve. And so there lies this week's topic. Last week, we rescoped hospitality, and this week, we're just simply looking at a warning around the impact of intentionality. A warning around the impact of intentionality. So last week, I began to touch base on the early church and how eating together has been a foundational principle of our movement as Christians since the beginning. We looked at the church in Corinth and how they weren't only just gathering of a morning for the Eucharist, they weren't just gathering for communion in church, they were also doing this other thing where they were gathering later in the day, they were having these other gatherings called love feasts. Love feasts, where the goal or the intention was to eat missionally with others, to eat missionally with the people around them. However, like I said before, (laughs) when it comes to something that can be fun, (laughs) when it comes to something that we can think is simple, when it comes to eating with others, it started to descend the slippery slope of becoming something it wasn't intended to be. And so that's where we're going to pick up this week. We're going to pick up with a passage in 1 Corinthians, Steve actually read a little bit out of it, uh, where Paul is writing to them basically as a warning around what they've become, what they've been doing wrong, and how to fix it. So this morning, we're going to start just simply by doing that. We're going to start by reading uh, this passage, and we'll go from there. So the passage is 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 17 to 34. It says this. 
In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you are coming together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval, so, when, so then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, you are, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers, and as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the, of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if, if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are, dis we are being disciplined so that we will not f be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not just result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. So here we have this letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthians around the Lord's Supper and more particularly around this other, other meal they're having in conjunction with it called the Love Feast. And he's writing to them because what began as this all-inclusive common meal eaten by early Christians for the purpose of fostering equality, for the purpose of building relationship regardless of socioeconomic status, began to evolve into this gathering where wealthier believers would start to come to the house earlier and instead of waiting, they'd just start eating. They'd just start drinking. They'd start to get drunk. And so by the time the latecomers, by the time the poor and the slaves actually got there, there was nothing left for them to eat or drink. The rich would just come and eat it all and drink it all, and then these, these poor and slaves would arrive expecting a decent meal, and there was nothing left for them to eat and drink. And so what started as this big love feast celebrating equality and celebrating eating together descended down the slippery slope into something that was intended, that instead into something that was creating distinctions and divisions amongst the body of Christ. And this is why this morning is a warning about intentionality. It's a warning because there is a critical danger here where the church runs a risk of ending up doing the exact opposite of what God, God calls us to do. There's a warning here because there's a risk that if we don't approach it correctly, we descend the slippery slope into something we didn't set out to achieve. And so as we begin this series on hospitality, as we start to hopefully make this practice something that becomes a central principle in our lives, something that we live out in our lifestyle, I think there are three aspects of intentionality 
that we can constantly reflect on, that we can constantly come back to as we embrace a heart of hospitality, as we embrace a heart of hospitality. We need to be asking ourselves why, we need to be asking ourselves who, and we need to be asking ourselves when. It's that simple. Why, who, when. Why? I think when we look at this passage in Corinthians, I think the big thing here is that we can see that they just simply lost sight of the why. They lost sight of the why. They lost sight of why we were having love feasts. They lost sight of the fact that the goal was to eat missionally with others. They lost sight of why. They lost sight of the purpose. The danger of a practice like hospitality is it's very easy to start to begin to fall in love with the idea of just having a barbecue with your friends. <laughs> it's very easy to fall in love with just having your mates over every Saturday for a barbecue to hang out. And it very quickly goes from a love feast where you're inviting people on the fringe instead to an event where the, the invite list begins to shrink <laughs> and the alcohol consumption increases and the party goes on and all of a sudden we've missed the point of what we were meant to be doing and we're doing the exact same as the rest of the world. We've missed the point. When we start to practice hospitality, we need to embrace this heart of intentionality. We need to be constantly asking ourselves, why? Why are we gathering? What is the purpose of the event? A healthy way for us to stay on track is to have small checkpoints. They don't have to be big. We don't have to sit down and go through a huge checklist, but just simply, when you start to plan an event, when you're thinking about inviting people over, when you're thinking about host some, hosting something, just pause and ask, why? Why, uh, why are we inviting people over? What is the purpose of what we're doing? Are we inviting people over just for the sake of a good time to show this false image of a lifestyle we don't really live, to, to get that really cool Instagram story? Are we inviting that colleague out for coffee just to whinge about the rest of the office? Are we doing these things for false intent or are we inviting people over to build relationship? Are we inviting people over to be authentic, to build each other up, to share a meal together, to encourage and support each other? What is the purpose of our events? Why are we gathering? See, the practice of eating together needs to be a byproduct of our heart for Jesus. Eating together needs to be a byproduct of our heart for Jesus. We need to be building our lives on Jesus and, a result of, and as a result of that eating, <laughs> rather than just eating. We need to build our lives on Jesus, not on eating, not on the art or the show of hospitality. We need to build it on Jesus first and as a result of that eat with others. We need to embrace the heart of hospitality that we spoke about last week. We need to embrace a heart of intentionality and just simply ask ourselves, why? Why? The second thing we need to look at is who. Intentional invitation, who. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like the hardest part of planning an event is the drama of who to invite. Does anyone else, any, anyone else experience that? Or is it just me? What a nightmare, am I right? Do we invite this person? Well, if we invite them, then we need to invite such and such. And if such and such doesn't get invited, they'll be upset. Do we invite the cousins? It's just a drama, and I just want to go camping with who I want to go camping with. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's this unnecessary drama. Now, I'm not saying here that you have to invite everyone to everything. You are allowed to just hang out with your friends sometime. It's not about completely throwing that out the window. You can gather with just the people you want to see sometimes. But in a broader sense, 
a lot of the time we can be very good at being clicky. <laughs> we can be very good at being divisive when it comes to events, when it comes to inviting people over. Nothing is worse than hearing about an event and not being invited to it. Paul reminds the Corinthians these meals are for everyone because the habitual practice of the love feast was supposed to be an incubator in which Christians learned to accept the outsider, where Christians learned to, ex- learned to offer generosity to the poor, where Christians learned to have fellowship with the so-called lower rank. That was the intent. And at the end, in verse 33, Paul's, so then my brothers and sisters, eat. when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. When you gather to eat, you should all eat together. We talk a lot about inviting people to church. We talk about inviting people along on Sunday. We say, oh, they're going to come on Sunday. (laughs) You should come on Sunday. You should come to church. But what Paul and the message of these love feasts is trying to teach us is how to actually practice hospitality during the week. Hospitality isn't just about saying, hey, come on Sunday. Can tick that box. Instead, it's by, by including unbelievers at your table, by including the poor at your table, by inviting people across the street over or having a drink with that guy who always sits by himself at the bowls club, by having lunch with the colleague from work. When we look at Jesus, he would eat with all people of all walks of life, different religions, different social status, different culture. He didn't care. He ate with everyone. The act of Jesus was actually to reverse our usual culture, our usual structure. Instead, he would join with people, in with people, for communion first and conversion second. Communion first and conversion second. He would eat and he would share with others and he would build a relationship with them that would eventually lead to conversion. In other words, we just, we just effortlessly invite people to church on a Sunday and we expect that to do the trick. We go, yep, we've invited them along. But are we instead building a relationship with them? Are we instead building a trust with people that actually leads to them wanting to come to church? Are we building a trust and a relationship with them that leaves them wanting to know more, that leads to them coming to church with an open mind, that leads them coming to church with an open heart because of the way they've experienced Jesus through our love and our hospitality to them? Are we doing the groundwork? Are we, are we building the relationship? Are we building something so that when they get here, they're ready to receive? Or are we just expecting it all to happen here on a Sunday? We need to be willing to ask the question of who. We need to be intentional around invitation, around who we are inviting in. But secondly, we also need to be intentional about accepting invitations from others, about accepting invitations from others. As you create a pattern of inviting others into your life, it is likely that they'll start to return the invitation. They'll start to invite you. And we need to be intentional about actually accepting those invitations. It's not about judging their lifestyle. It's not about judging their eating or drinking habits. But instead, it's just about seeing it as another opportunity to gather, to eat, and an actual recognition of the trust and the relationship you've built with them to the point where they've said, hey, I'm ready to invite you into my life. I'm ready to invite you into my world. If we want them to be willing to come here, if we want them to be willing to come into our world, then we need to be willing to go into theirs. One of my youth pastors used to say to the leadership team before camps, he said, we need to be incarnate with the kids. We need to be incarnate with the kids. And what that meant was that if, our, if it was beach day and our kids wanted to go for a swim in the water, it didn't matter how dumpy, <laughs> how cold the surf was, we needed to be in there with them. He'd say to us, you're Jesus. 
the water is the world, go into the world and make disciples. Now, I'll let you wrestle with the, the theological soundness of that statement, but it's the same key principle for us. We are Jesus. I mean, we're His disciples, right? We need to go out. We need to be willing to go out for tea and biscuits to make disciples. We need to be willing to go out for lunch to make disciples. We need to be willing to go out and have a drink with that person to make disciples. We need to be willing to go into their world if we expect them to come to ours. We need to be intentional around invitation, around asking who, asking who we're inviting in, and then accepting invitation from them too. Who? And the third thing we need to ask ourselves is when. When. We talk about rhythms a lot, and that's because they're key. We talk about it a lot because they're important and they're a key part of our lives. One of the things that the Corinthians were doing well, they were descending the slippery slope, but one of the things they were doing well was that they were at least gathering in predictable patterns. There was a rhythm to what they were doing. There was a regular routine around this rhythm of the love feast. It wasn't just when they felt like it. It wasn't the fifth Sunday of the month or quarterly or some other random sort of schedule, but there was a predictable rhythm, a regular rhythm that these people knew that made it accessible to people. And what I mean by that is that, not that we need to just start hosting something every Thursday, 7 p.m., be there, be squared, that's where we'll be. It's not about setting something up like that, but just simply that there actually needs to be a rhythm. There needs to be some sort of a a regular routine around your patterns of gathering with others. There needs to be some sort of regularity to it. You can have the best heart, you can be super intentional about who you're inviting, you can be super intentional about why you're inviting them, but if you're only gathering once, maybe twice a year, we're not going to achieve anything. There's no rhythm to that. There's no regularity to that. The goal of the summer hospitality isn't just to be another 40-day plan, it's not to get to the end of it and go, cool, we had some barbecues, that was fun, what's next? (laughs) It's not meant to be that, but instead it's meant to be starting to, it's meant to be the start of creating a rhythm or a habit in our lives to gather with others. This is the start of us as a movement, as a collective, building a habit or a regular rhythm in our life to gather with others, for whatever that might be, where people actually can see, start to notice that they're getting invited out for coffee, where people can start to notice they're getting invited over to your house on a regular basis. Because once people get, to see, get the opportunity to see more of us, when they get the opportunity to know more of us, that's when the magic happens. That's when the rubber meets the road. That's when they get the chance to notice that there is something different about us. That's where they get to notice that there is something different about the way we live our lives, that there's something different about the hope and the generosity we have that leads to them wanting to know more. When they notice these things, they want to know more. That leads to the questions that leads to them thinking, I want a little bit of the hope and the joy that he has. I want a little bit of that. That leads to the trust that allows you to invite them to come to church. And by the time they get here, they have an open heart. They have an open mind to what they're going to receive and what they're going to experience because of the trust and the experience they've had through your hope, through your generosity, through your joy in your life. A couple of years ago, at my last church, I took on a few interns from Toowoomba. That was wild, <laughs> but that's a story for another time. But they were, they were coming down 
and they were looking for a rental and they needed another person to stay with them. And so they were talking to one of the other boys, one of the other boys in Tawamu, and he wasn't a Christian, he'd sort of grown up, I think he'd gone to a Catholic school and he said, this isn't for me. And so they said, you should come and live with us, you should move down. And he said, I'll do it, I'll come down, it sounds like it'll be fun, but I'm not going to move in with you if you guys push this church thing on me. I know you guys are doing an internship, that's all well and good, that's awesome, you do that, but I'll live with you if you don't push it on me. If you don't use this as just a bit of a bait and switch. <laughs> And so he came down and over just literally, it was like a period of three months of just the boys catching up for dinner, going for skateboard trips around South Bank, gathering, having barbecues on a Wednesday night. He started to then all of a sudden come and help us cook the barbecue for kids at the drop-in center. And after about three months, he said to me, he goes, there's something different about you guys. There's something different about the way you guys gather. There's something different about the way you guys just live your lifestyle and so over the next few months probably about two months later he'd given his life to Christ and he's sitting in my office asking how he can be an intern asking how he can take a step to learn and develop his leadership skills so that he can show other people what he's just experienced it was a regular rhythm of hospitality there was no tricks, there was no frills. It was skateboarding at South Bank at midnight. It was, like, there was nothing special about it. <laughs> it was just hanging out with a bunch of boys and simply having this regular rhythm of hospitality that allowed him to notice there was something different about us. There's a French philosopher, Pierre Bordeaux, who talks about this concept of predictable patterns that he calls, and I'm going to say this wrong, but I'm going to say habitus, habitus, I don't know, uh, and he, in his view, society at large develops a series of norms and tendencies that guide the behavior and thinking of all its members. In other words, the practices and actions that a society endorses shape the way the members of society think. Makes sense? Habitus is the way society helps people think, feel, and act, which then guides them. Imagine for a moment the difference we could make in our local communities if we got this right. Imagine the impact we could have if we began to model and create a habit that revolves around the heart of hospitality. A habit that anyone and everyone can adopt. A habit that's focused on eating with others. A habit that breaks down the social constructs of clickiness. That breaks down the barriers of segregation or culture or race or socioeconomic status or religion. Something that breaks down all that and just simply says, let's gather together. Let's share a meal together. Imagine if we created a habit so loving that the society we live in starts to endorse it. What would that look like? Imagine. Imagine if we created a habit that started to shape the way members of the Gold Coast community thought. Imagine if we just modeled molded it so well that members of the surf club start modeling hospitality. The members of, of your workplace start modeling hospitality. Other people at the school, all of a sudden, those families are inviting people over on the weekend. Imagine the profound impact of just simply modeling a heart of hospitality. It all starts with creating a culture and a habit that others want to adopt. Are our habits so radical and different in a healthy and positive way the people around us want to know more? Are our habits so radical and different in a healthy and positive way the people around us want to adopt 
what we're doing. Are we adopting a heart of hospitality this morning? Are we adopting a heart of hospitality that is intentional about the why, that is intentional about the who, and intentional about the when? As we embark on this summer of hospitality, here are the first few challenges for you. The first, and Steve talked about it a bit, is we're going to have these barbecues. We're going to have these barbecues every week. And last week we had one challenge, and that was to fill the barbecue roster. (laughs) We've got 10 weeks. There's more than 10 of us here. It's not hard. We can do it. Last week we filled about half. This week I want to see us fill the other half. There's a bunch of different people in the room this week who weren't here last week, and so I reckon we can do it. And if we can fill the roster today, that means that all we have to worry about for the next nine weeks is just coming together just joining in fellowship, just experiencing hospitality and just inviting others. I don't have to worry about walking around with the roster for the next three weeks going, do you reckon you can do next Sunday? Instead, we can just worry about enjoying the experience, enjoying hospitality. To be clear, we're going to provide the stuff, we're going to provide the sausages and, and all that. All you guys need to do is a few of you need to cook and a few of you need to serve. If you want to do something, uh, something more fun and fancy, that's up to you, but we'll have the basics uh, there. The second is to eat with three people each week. To eat with three people each week. This one's a bit more personal. This is a challenge for everyone individually. One of which isn't from church. It doesn't need to be a big fancy feast. It could just be tea. It could just be coffee. It could just be inviting them over to your house. It could be all three at once or individually. That's up to you. But the challenge is to find time during the week to invite three people into your life. To invite three people in for a meal or a coffee or whatever it might be, one of which isn't from church. That's the challenge for for the rest of the summer of hospitality. Can we eat with three people each week, at least one of which isn't from church? Uh, And the third is to begin to reflect on the following questions. So these questions you can talk about in your small tables, but we want to reflect on these questions and how you can begin to reshape your lifestyle over this summer so that it can be one that adopts a heart of hospitality. The first question is this, what rhythms do I have in my life that allow for hospitality? What rhythms do I have in my life that allow for hospitality? So the when. When am I gathering? When is my regular rhythms? Two, how can I be intentional about living in my, how, how can I be intentional about inviting people into my life? How can I be intentional, or who can I be intentional about inviting into my life, is what I've got up there. <laughs> and then the third one, why or what is the purpose or the heart behind the gathering I'm organizing? What's the heart or the purpose behind that event I'm planning on Saturday? Could I invite someone different along to it? Why am I doing it? What is the purpose? And I think if we can hit these checkpoints, it helps us. It's like the gutters in bowling. It keeps us on the straight and narrow, and hopefully it prevents us from going down the the descent and the slippery slope like the Corinthians. If we listen and we learn from the letters like Paul's and we ask ourselves questions like this, over the next 40 days, let's start to create a habit in our lives that models and adopts a heart of hospitality that maybe, maybe just influences the culture around us. Let's pray. Dear God, I just, I thank you.
for hospitality. I thank you that you've made us to be social people. You've made us uh, in your image to share and, and to communicate with others, to, to gather with one another. And so I thank you that we have practices like hospitality that are so fun and that are uh, enjoyable and, and that we get the opportunity to gather with others and show them a little bit of ourselves. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we embark on this season of hospitality, you might just put it on our hearts to adopt the heart of hospitality, that you might just show us the people who it is that you want us to invite, that you might show us the people in our circles who you want us to gather closer with, that you might just stir something in us to, to take that step of boldness, to have coffee with that person, to have lunch with that person, to invite that family over for dinner, Lord, that you might just use us in the Gold Coast community to make a difference, to be the difference, Lord. And I just pray that you can just do something in us that allows people to see the joy and the generosity and the hope that we have in you. Lord, I thank you that, that, that we have generosity and that it's going to cost us something and that we have a hope and we have a reason to share all this. I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. I thank you that Jesus died so that we might have a life to live, that we might have a hope to share, that we might have a joy to share. And so, God, as we embark on this hospitality series, I just pray that you can use each and every single one of us. You can use each and every single one of us as your vessel to model and to show people that there is something different about us, that there's something different about the life we live when we invite you into it, and that people might, might want to know more. Amen. <laughs>